0: What's happening tonight, fans? Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome aboard. Brian Murphy is out today. He's, you know, everything's fine. Murph is, Murph is good. He's, you know, he's, Um, I, I guess, I don't know, Eric, is he still recovering from having to watch UConn play football?
1: Well, it's emotional. It's the last silver conflict you get to see. So yeah. you know, it takes it takes a little while to get over that, and then you know, you've got baseball playoffs. I mean, it's an emotional week for him. It's, it's, a, it's a big time it's week. It's a big
0: week in the, in the Murphy household. No, no doubt about it. So, um, but he will be at uh, the uh, Cincinnati game on Friday, which we will be. Oh yeah, previewing. that's true. He's
1: traveling. Yes,
0: he is on a short yeah. week. He is traveling, uh, and we'll be talking about that and plenty more uh, here, including a huge weekend coming up for uh, volleyball and uh, men's soccer coming up. Uh, women's as soccer. Well. Yeah,
1: everybody playing. Women's everybody so- play. Yeah,
0: women's soccer, too. Everyone's got something big going on this this week, not too much. But, the, of course, the biggest of the big right now, which I know a lot of you here want us to uh, preview, is UCF against Cincinnati in football on Friday night. So, um We've got a lot. Uh, we've got a lot that's ready to go here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. You can follow us at Black and Gold Banneret. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. and you can also uh, hit us up on uh, uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret as well, and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, in addition to that, so. Uh, lots to get to uh, here. We also, by the way, we have a guest for this show, uh, Mike Schneid, who is the uh, site manager for Down the Drive SB Nation's uh, Cincinnati site, is uh, is joining us uh, as well to answer some questions about um, uh, answer some questions about uh, about the Bearcats coming in. Who, by the way, we we have found are not changing the look of their football field that through everybody including myself for a loop um, because it came from the official account you know i mean like
1: well that's that's, that's kind of material that goes flat that's
0: that's, that's a big that's a big huge self own if you're a cincinnati football man what in the world
1: well, apparently they were trying to make tell the point that the, the, the field would be black because all the fans that were wearing black would be on the field after uh, the game. See, yeah, that's yeah. a little bit... Because you can't actually change the field and color it differently. That actually is an NCAA rule now. You can't do that, so...
0: I think that's a bad rule, by the way. I think you should be able to paint the field whatever you want. Because cause why not? I mean, you know, if you want to do something different, do something different. All of a sudden, it, it either... This is one of the things I can't stand it's like Boise and a few other schools are grandfathered in Eastern Michigan Correct. Eastern Washington uh, central Arkansas has a purple field um, either all the fields should be green and you should say that or they or or you or anyone can can make their field whatever solid color they want but it's don't only two make,
1: teams that have colored it. It's, it's boise and no, Eastern it's Washington. No, it's a lot more
0: than that in the NCAA. If you look down the line in Division Two II and Three, ah. and even the NAIA, you know that oh, I mean it's, e- well, it's either Hey, it's either look, if we're gonna treat all these schools the same, right? Then treat them all the same. Well yeah, I just anyway. Not,
1: here's the secret they're not treated the same.
0: Well that depends on what we're talking about. Moving on. UCF against Cincinnati, Friday night, eight PM, ESPN. Um Huge, huge game in the Eastern Division, obviously. Uh, this is the fifth all-time meeting. UCF has won three of the previous four. Uh, and uh, UCF comes in a four-point favorite. All of the indicators, S P plus, even the uh, predicted score from Odd Shark are projecting a pretty close game, um, possibly high scoring. Um, again, UCF is a four-point favorite. 68% of the money is on UCF minus four. Uh, that's up from three and a half where it opened. Um, Bovada has it at four and a half, by the way. Um, 60% of the money is, or excuse me, 65% of the money is on the over, which is, uh, the over under is 60 for this game. Uh, four and one against three and one here, Eric Lopez. The, uh, the Bearcats at the one loss was to Ohio State 42 nothing. They, they got their rear ends handed to them in that game, but, um, they can erase that with uh, a victory at home here. Nippert Stadium is going to be wild regardless of what color the field is. Um here we go. Man, this is the first big conference game. What's going to be um based on what we saw last week against Yukon, did we learn anything from that that we're going to be able to glean forward for Friday night?
1: No, I think you, UConn's like a scrimmage. It's a glorified scrimmage. UConn's an FCS program. I don't care what they say. They're an FCS program. I think the best thing about it was that UCF came out sharp in that game. They were crisp early. Put the game on away early. both sides early. of the ball,
0: too. On defense, I, too. Correct, you know.
1: correct. And I think, you know, nobody got hurt that I'm aware of. Of seriousness. You got away healthy in that game. Um, you know, and I think now you're ready for the Cincinnati. Cincinnati looked good, too. They arguably played their best game on Saturday at Marshall. In particular, Desmond Ritter, who I think is the key to this game. Desmond Ritter is the quarterback. You know, he's been up and down. He's coming off his best game. He's a he's a he's a mobile quarterback. He can run. He can pass. He's the third leading rusher. Uh, he's he's also thrown eight touchdown passes this year. UCF shut him down last year. They made him one dimensional. I think mm-hmm. that's the key to this Friday night's game. Cincinnati wants to rush the football. Now, a lot of attention goes towards Michael Warren. Uh, who's their leading rusher. He's got 273 yards and four touchdowns. But they got this other guy, Tavian Thomas, who's just as good. In fact, he was the better runner in the Marshall game. So, And then you got Ritter, who averages about 8 to 10 carries a game. Uh, you know, He's mobile. He can be a threat. So I'll be curious to see how the UCF defensive line handles the Cincinnati offensive line. How do they handle a guy like Ritter? who likes to be both run and pass. So you got to be, you know, can you keep him in the pocket, try to force him to beat you with as accurate passing if possible. And I think that's going to be the challenge to me is last year, UCF played their best defensive game the whole year against Cincinnati at home, prime time. And part of the reason was they, you know, they kind of kept Ritter in the pocket. They didn't make the, he didn't hurt them with his legs. I think that's going to be an interesting factor because if he does hurt them with their legs, he could buy some extra time, and that could create some big plays. So that's going to be the key. This is a huge game. I know for a fact Cincinnati has circled this game all year. Uh, From talking to people that are familiar with the program up there, this is a big game for them. It's going to be packed. And I think it'll be interesting how Dylan Gabriel and this UCF team handles the road. You know, They've looked great at home, and they've looked great in the state of Florida, but the one time they left the state of Florida – Uh, They struggled against Pittsburgh. We'll see if they learn from that on Friday night.
0: This is Cincinnati Super Bowl, and I said earlier that, you know, regardless of (laughs) what the field looks like, it still still kind of scares me a little bit because um, you're going to get their best shot in a hostile environment. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be loud. And um, as we'll hear from Mike Schneid from down the drive a little bit later, you know, I I think he makes a good point that when that place is packed – and every once in a while, it is. Uh, and uh, and when it's a big event like a night game against a marquee opponent, which this is on Friday, um, there are aside from Spectrum Stadium, there's probably no more raucous atmosphere in the American than than at Cincinnati. You know, I I, I you know me, I'm I'm always you know kind of kind of scared about games like this you know Friday nights you know we've seen how, how many Friday night upsets have we seen over the years right um I don't do I have reason to be frightened about this it's the lines yeah, 4 well, yeah you, you can't know. You know
1: yeah you got at some point you gotta play good teams you can't duck them so, I mean, yeah <laughs> this is, how it's, this is how sports work but yeah I know but thing. this is
0: one of those things where you know UCF is going on the road and yeah
1: yeah I mean that's I mean nobody knows that more than UCF in fact earlier this week Josh Heupel said, hey, we know what we're going to get ourselves into going into Cincinnati this week. It's going to be, be a great atmosphere inside the stadium. Um, you know, they're, they're a really good football team in, in all three phases uh, of the game. They're, uh, they're well coached. Um, they play a physical brand of football. Um, they're going to make you earn it. Uh, we have to prepare with a great sense of urgency, understand the competitive environment that we're getting ourselves into, and uh, prepare in a championship way. That's Coach Heipel from earlier this week on, uh, I think it was Tuesday, practice after practice there. Here's the thing, right? So you hope that the Pittsburgh game kind of makes you prepared for this game, right? Like you, yeah. you went through that adversity. You fell behind early. It was raucous at Pittsburgh. I thought the student section at Pittsburgh was loud. It was tremendous, good atmosphere. So you would. I think this team has, you know, is prepared for that. Um, and they're going to be ready for that. To me, it's not a question of the environment. The question is about execution, and it's going to be this this offensive line execute against the Cincinnati defensive front. Last year, they protected McKenzie Milton, uh, and as a result, he was able to torch the Cincinnati secondary. The Cincinnati secondary couldn't keep up with the UCF receivers uh, because really, if you look back at last year's game, UCF kind of attacked them from the air. Cincinnati actually did a pretty good job controlling the running game for UCF until the end, up until the end. So, you know, Dylan Gabriel, you know, can, you know, can he get time and make some throws to Gabe Davis against that Cincinnati secondary? Or does Cincinnati put pressure on Gabriel like the the passing game? And that's where the crowd could come in. So, yeah, no, there's reason to be concerned. There's no question about it, especially after what we saw against Pittsburgh, because, um, you know, if we were having this conversation three weeks ago, probably not, you know, we, we'd be like, yeah, we'll be fine. Yeah, there should be pause for concern. Now, the good news is they, you know, I think you would think they learned from the Pittsburgh game and they'd be ready to play. But yeah, I mean, Cincinnati's going to be ready to play. I would not be surprised if Luke Fickle comes out and blitzes Dylan Gabriel. Right? Like, if you watch the tape, Jeff, if you watch that Pittsburgh game and you're Luke Fickle, what would I mean? That would be a couple of things that jumps out, right? You're going to blitz Dylan Gabriel, mix up mm-hmm. the coverage, and you're going to try to be physical at the line of scrimmage.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try. And basically, what I'm going to do is try and take advantage of the fact that he's a true freshman right so yep. get in his face get him off a spot try and pressure him I think from the parts that I saw where I think Pittsburgh did a really good job it wasn't their edge rushing it was their middle rushing. I think they did a very good job rushing it rushing from the middle they got in his face a little bit you don't have to sack him a whole lot you just have to get some some arms flying around him and like you said you can do basic sort of disguise coverages and just see how much he's learned from that from that game that said, he still had that wild He still had that wild third quarter where UCF scored 31 points in 13 and a half minutes. I mean, yeah, they had the special teams touchdown, but you know, he got some time, he got UCF back on top, and then I think it comes down to not doing what you did late in the game, which is letting them back in the game through defensive penalties. You know, UCF has had their problems with penalties, although Uh, Cincinnati has had a lot of problems with penalties this year. They're next to they're next to last in the country, um, in uh, in most penalties or 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 almost they're second in the country in most penalties per game. They're averaging ten penalties a game, uh, for eighty two yards, eighty eighty two yards per game too. So that's something that they have to look at. And I think you mentioned, you know, on offense with Desmond Ritter, you know, uh, Cincinnati's offense has been I think less than spectacular for the most part. Um, they seem to get their feet underneath yep. them at Marshall, but the, but they're only seventy third in the country in total offense. I am concerned yeah, about. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I don't go think ahead. they want
1: to get into a shoot. I don't think they want to get into a shootout. I think no, if this game, it's so into either. the 30-40s that's in UCF's favor. I think Cincinnati ideally would like to shorten the game. Play. For, I mean, Luke Fickle is a defensive coach. He's a background of defense. Uh, I, I think that they don't. They would like to protect the football. They would like to dominate the line of scrimmage. And they would like to keep this in the twenties in the thirties.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing that I look at is and you mentioned it, is the strength of their team is the secondary. Um, they're 15th in the country and fewest passing yards allowed. They're only averaging uh, averaging giving up about 167 yards per game through the air. They're averaging giving up 130 on the ground, which is 47th, but um, this could be a good opportunity to um, for for the backs for UCF to have a good game. Um, you know, For Greg McCray and possibly Adrian Killens to break some out. I think I'd like to see a little bit more Benno Thompson as well in uh in in fits and starts uh to try and open up that passing game as much as he can to try and cut down on the aggressiveness of the secondary on the outside. So um that's going to be a big key for UCF I think is uh, you know I, and I think if Josh Hyper were sitting here with us he'd say, he'd say the same thing that he always says like we got to run the ball, you know, cuz his offense, you know, for all the high flying that everyone thinks it is it's a rushing offense it's a rush first offense and and that's okay i think that you have to play to your strengths here so um it, it's gonna be a, i don't know it's gonna be a tough matchup i think you know again if it comes down to the one key for ucf on that i'm thinking of it's do what you've been doing well to this point you know i thought the big issue on in the pittsburgh game was they fell down early and if they're going to uh, if they're going to take care of the Cincinnati game the way that they should they need to take the crowd out of the game early quick turnover quick three and out something get the ball and score and then get another three and out and score again if you go up you know 10 14 nothing in the first 5 7 minutes you know that could really that that can take some air oh, yeah. out of the, out of the place
1: well, I make Ritter a one-dimensional player. Try to throw the football. Uh, yeah. You know, if 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 you struggle against them early, running the football, Cincinnati averages about four yards a pop. They average 186 yards on the ground. If you can stop the run for Cincinnati, like you did last year in last year's game, that's going to make Ritter a one-dimensional player. If you don't, that opens up play-action pass, and you're exposed to potential big plays via the play-action pass. That's what Ritter lives off, and then as well as you know the read option for him so uh, I, I think it'll be we will know early I mean it's gonna be exciting. now you're right I, there could be a lot of penalties here UCF has to stay disciplined I mean penalties killed him in the Pittsburgh game as well so I think both teams do so this could be a long long four-hour game um, and then you hope yeah if UCF comes off to a good start I don't think Cincinnati's a come-from-behind team they're not built in my opinion I don't think Ritter's a guy that can lead a comeback down two three scores so I I agree. If UCF gets off to a big start early, I think that'll take the crowd out and really probably kind of suck the air out of the stadium.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's that's going to be the key. And it, and it's always the key on the road, right? Just take the air out of the joint and yeah. let everybody know that okay, we're here for we're here to, we're here for business. Um you know, one thing I I got to give uh, you know, credit to Pitt for is, you know, what Kenny Pickett was able to do was he kind of mixed it up. And uh, and I thought that Pitt was very efficient in using a sort of four-minute offense. They kind of did a little bit of a UCF to UCF where um, they they kept the pace they kept the pace up, but not too quick. Where they were still keeping their defense off the field enough, but they were keeping UCF's defense off balance. And I think Desmond Ritter can do sort of the same thing. But if they're able to keep him um, in, uh, if they're able to keep him in the pocket, make him. Make him like you said one dimensional, and then let the defensive line get up there and tee off. You know, looking forward to seeing Randy Charlton back in the action, um, who uh, who did not play uh, last week, and then also uh, Richie Grant did not play last week. But um, uh, but uh, we'll see. You know, having those two guys back should be a, should be a big boost to UCF. And like you said, having having basically a scrimmage against UConn the week before helps too, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: it does. I do wonder. On short yardage, third and short, fourth and short. If we see Daryl Mack line up at quarterback,
0: I would love right? to like, see that.
1: Well, I, I especially I a mean, goal to go
0: right, like have him be. Yes. I hate, invoke, I hate invoking Tim Tebow, but have him do what Tim Tebow did in his freshman year.
1: Well, and the thing is, I don't. I just don't think Gabriel's a guy that likes to run. At I least agree. not at this stage. I think. He, I think he's more of a. Hey, I rather throw the football in. Whereas Max, more instinctively, of a runner, and I think he's more bigger and he can run, get short yardage. So, uh, you know that. You know, you talk about the Yukon game. We haven't brought it up. Is Max debut uh, playing there and and yeah. get rust off in the second half? And I don't think that was by accident. I I have said this since the beginning of the year that I believe this year is a two quarterback year for UCF, and I'm still going to stick to that, even though I think Gabriel is the future. Uh, I think Mac has a role here, and I think Mac's role is going to be in particular on short yardage. It would not surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise me if we see Mac in the goal line situation uh, moving forward. Um, why not? I mean, he's very good, and we saw that. How many times did he score last year, Jeffrey, out of that position, especially in the conference championship game?
0: Um, yeah, well, he had the a school record four touchdowns in that game. So,
1: <laughs> and the thing about him is he's a threat. He could. It, it's not like, like you know they've tried that with Brandon Wimbush a couple times, and teams didn't really. Respected, whereas Mac can hurt you with the pass So it's not like the passing game is eliminated by bringing in Mac in a situation like that So I would not be surprised if we see Mac play some here and I'm okay with it personally I, Again, I don't believe, you know people are wondering why isn't Gabriel running and you know people coming up with theories All oh, the coaches don't want him to run and I'm I, I don't really buy that yeah. I just don't think Dylan Gabriel wants to run. I don't think that if you look at his high school numbers He was a passer some guys just want to pass yeah. Um and stay in the in the pocket. And I think that's who Dylan Gaber is at this time. And that's okay. I, I think that's okay.
0: Yeah, I mean looking at what uh what uh DJ did against uh UConn, remember it was his first action of the season. I just wanted to pull up the the numbers where he uh he had uh twenty seven uh net yards rushing on six carries um and then uh passing in that game. Uh, he was uh, nine of thirteen for ninety-seven yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. So, um, you know, pretty good. I mean, granted, you're playing against Connecticut's, you know, twos and threes out there, so it's not exactly like mind-blowing competition. But uh, he was efficient and looked and, and looked pretty much like he should look against that level of competition in his first game. So, um, so yeah, we, I, I'm hoping, hoping that um, that we will see him uh, again in this game, and, and if. And he's a, he's definitely a threat in short yardage, as we as we know um, very well. So again, kickoff is at uh, eight o'clock on Friday uh, in Cincinnati. Latest line is four in favor of UCF. By the way, it's going to be cold up there for this game. Did you see the forecast?
1: No, I have not.
0: Forty six degrees and partly cloudy. Oh, whoa! So fall. It's uh, we're going to get it. We're going if you're heading up to Cincinnati, you're going to get a dose of fall football weather. It's going to be 69% humidity. Um, nice breeze, eight miles an hour out of the Northeast. Um, yeah, I mean, the fall is, has reached uh, has reached up north and UCF's going to be heading into It's not going to be freezing, but it's going to be cold. Um, and uh, it, I, I'll tell you, we're, it's, I don't know, man. This just has all the, this, this, this game is making me nervous every time I think about it because, I don't know. Somebody talked me out of it. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit more about this game um, with uh, Mike Schneid from Down the Drive uh, when we return. Talk about Cincinnati and UCF and what UCF fans have to look for on the Bearcat side in just a moment. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon joining you as we start our preview of UCF and Cincinnati. Uh, on Friday night at Nippert Stadium, uh, 8 p.m., uh, it should be a wild atmosphere uh, uh, and a hostile one for UCF at that. Um, Cincinnati comes in 3-1 uh, and one on the season. Uh, and they, uh, Although UCF, even on the road, is a four-point favorite, according to Oddshark, with uh, 69% of the money on UCF. The over-under total is um, 60. Um, and joining us now... Uh, is the site manager of downthedrive.com. That's the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats uh, team site on the SB Nation network. Mike Schneid joining us uh, from not Cincinnati, but New York, where he is stationed. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it's good to have you on board, Mike. Uh, Welcome to the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me. Hello to all of UCF Nation. Looking forward to what should be a really awesome game on Friday.
0: Well, it's, uh, it. this is probably, well, you tell me, is this the biggest game of the year for Cincinnati?
2: It is. I mean, Bens and players and coaches have had this game circled all year. I know we obviously played Ohio State Week 2, but that's that's more of a measuring stick game. I don't think anyone realistically expected us to win that game. Obviously expected to be more competitive, but this is it. I mean, this is the game, if. We don't want to play in the Birmingham Bowl or the Gasparilla Bowl. I know you guys don't know what any of that stuff means over the last <laughs> couple of years, but, you know, we want the Cotton Bowl. We want the conference championship, and the only way to do that, as the legendary Rick Flair once said, in order to be the man, you have to beat the man, and there's no question that UCF is the man. So this is it. I mean, if we don't win this game, we're not going to win the conference championship. It's it's that simple. So, yes, I mean, this is the biggest game of the season by far.
0: This is the fifth all-time meeting between um, UCF and Cincinnati. It is the third at Nippert Stadium. The first time is in 2015, which was a catastrophe for UCF. Well, everything in 2015 was a catastrophe <laughs> for UCF. And then in 2017, uh, it was a catastrophe uh, of equal magnitude for Cincinnati, that was the game that was shortened by thunderstorms in the area With uh, through three quarters. It was a 51-23 UCF. UCF scored 51 points in three quarters on a Bearcat team that was still feeling out the new regime under Luke Fickle. But this seems like the Cincinnati team that Bearcat fans have been waiting a little while for here now. Um, I, I know that you guys have been looking forward to this, but describe for us... The atmosphere at Nippert Stadium, because you've been pretty vocal about it, um, about how you know at Nippert on a night game it gets pretty wild when the Bearcats are are, are good. Um, we know what that's like, and I'm sure if you, Cincy fans remember back to last year the uh, the win at Bright House or not Bright House Network Stadium, but Spectrum Stadium um, uh, for UCF on the day when College Game Day was in town, and Cincy was something of a bit player in in the uh, in the production. Um, but uh, this is Cincinnati's chance for a coming out party. So what is it about the atmosphere at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati that UCF fans need to be wary of?
2: Well, I'll tell you this to start. It's being wary of the atmosphere in general because UCF and Cincinnati are in the same boat where obviously, yes, I know that the the bounce house and everything with, with Spectrum and with UCF, I know that that stadium and the atmosphere is amazing. But when you leave home, You guys go where to Connecticut in front of 500 people to Tulane in front of 500 people ECU UCF and Temple are playing in 75% empty NFL stadium so both of our teams are in this weird predicament where you're never tested on the road you don't get to see a big-time college football atmosphere so I think when Cincinnati went to UCF last year as much as they were prepared for the, for the crowd noise with the simulations indoors all week, they weren't ready. They, I think it was way louder than anybody expected, and I think the offense was rattled. And I think, and that's the hope on Friday as well, is that UCF has never faced during this couple-year run, during this three-year run, that they've never seen anything like Nippert Stadium. The best way to describe it, Bob Davey did it before he took the New Mexico job when he was still working at ESPN. Was calling one of the Cincinnati games and basically said, "This is an SEC environment." Uh, Jesse Palmer, when he was calling the Thursday night games, was always very, always speaking very highly of Nippert and the Cincinnati fans as well, saying that this atmosphere compares to nothing else. That the problem with the problem for other teams with Nippert Stadium is it's kind of in the ground. It's a forty thousand seat stadium. The seats are very low. And it just, it gets very, very loud in there. And I don't think UCF has seen anything like it. I don't know if it'll be a factor, but it's definitely a wild, crazy experience, especially on these night games, especially when Cincinnati is at its best. Like you said, 2015, even 2017, those games weren't like a prime Cincinnati year, so to speak. So I I don't think... I don't think it's fair to compare what happened in 2017 to what's going to happen on Friday.
0: Well, it's it 40,000 for football. The all time record at uh, at Nippert Stadium since 2000 for attendance was, uh, was 40,124. I have a sneaky suspicion that it's going to be uh, that that record might be threatened. Um, might this. be
2: 125 on Friday.
0: <laughs> That's Friday. <laughs> they might go over
2: uh, by one. And part of the thing is that UCLA and Miami were both. Or only two home games so far. Those were both sold out. Those were both allowed. So you can only imagine what happens. We also don't exactly face right teams all that often, right. uh, as you would expect in our conference. You know that's another big part of it.
0: Yeah. Now let, let's talk about a little bit of the action on the field, and I want to talk about the uh, Cincinnati offense, which, uh, which which has been which has had up and ups and downs this season. Um, right now, the Bearcats are—you uh, know—through four games, are averaging over 408 yards of uh, of total offense. Uh, Luke Ritter has eight touchdown passes on the year on uh, just under uh, just under 65 percent completions, and then Michael Warren uh, is back once again. He's uh, he's averaging about 65 yards a game and has four touchdowns. But it feels like the production for Cincinnati this year on offense has been relatively low compared to what they were expecting, hasn't it?
2: It has. I think I think throughout the first couple of games, the offense might have taken a step back. The offensive line has been a major weakness for this team. I think that's definitely part of the problem. Is And it's Desmond Ritter. I think you said Luke Ritter.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Desmond Ritter. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, the quarterback just hasn't had a lot of time. And I think, I honestly think that it's messing with his confidence a little bit I think the Ohio State game hurt losing 42 nothing getting hit on every single play when you're a guy like Desmond Ritter and you're growing up and you're always the best quarterback you're always the man and everyone's telling you that you're the best you know to play like that I think it messed with his head a little bit when they went when they played Miami the next week and he struggled in the first half I, I think his confidence was a little bit shot I think it it kills your confidence when you When you're playing behind an offensive line, it's giving you one to two seconds to throw. So I think the offensive line has certainly been an issue. Uh, Michael Warren hasn't put up, up the same type of numbers. He's certainly been very productive. His yards per carry is down by almost a full yard. So, And since then he's breaking in a whole bunch of new, young, and inexperienced wide receivers, I think it's taken a couple of games for Ritter and those receivers to get comfortable. So... Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been a slower start to the Ohio State game. Obviously skews a lot of those numbers. And then the fact that we did play UCLA, as bad as they might be, they are still a real team uh, that we played week one. So we don't necessarily have – we've been building up. And I think we saw that offense come together last week against Marshall, putting up 52 points and finally really clicking on all cylinders.
0: Let's switch sides to the defense, uh, which right now is the strength of this team. 23rd in the country in total defense, 15th in pass defense in terms of um, yards allowed. Um, Definitely raises some eyebrows amongst UCF fans with the the deep passing game. What has worked for Cincinnati on defense to this point this year?
2: The front seven. The front seven is definitely the strength. What's interesting about... The defense being so successful is James Wiggins, our best defender, was ruled out for the season a couple of days before UCLA with the torn ACL. He's a guy who had four interceptions last year. Three of them were game winners. So that loss was expected to be huge. His replacements have done an admirable job filling in. The linebackers are all excellent. And there's five or six or seven defensive linemen that just keep rotating One of the things that Luke Fickle and defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman do that they do so successfully is they just keep rotating and they just keep everyone fresh. So each drive you'll see somebody new. And, I mean, these guys are able to get to the quarterback. They're able to put that pressure on. Linebackers definitely been a huge strength. And then the corners are able to lock down as well. And that's been a big part of why the safety position has been able to be filled the way that it has been because the corners have done a good job locking down on opposing receivers
0: flip it forward to Friday night and uh and let me ask you this um all right you're watching the game and if this one thing happens in the course of the game it's it's going to be then it's going to be a good night for Cincinnati what is that thing going to be
2: I think it's turnovers. I think if the defense can force a couple of turnovers, if they can bring the pressure on Dylan Gabriel, rattle him a little bit, make him uncomfortable. That's that's what I was preaching before we played Ohio State, before I realized that Justin Fields was the best quarterback in football. I wanted to make him uncomfortable and hit him, and that's what Cincinnati needs to do to Gabriel. In a, in a legal, respectful way, of course. They just need to hit him in the mouth and put pressure on him and rattle him a little bit. If Gabriel starts throwing interceptions, if I think that's the key, as I think Cincinnati really needs to force some turnovers and then, of course, capitalize on those. But if if Gabriel starts to get a little bit wild, then I think it's going to be a good night for Cincinnati. Uh,
0: on the flip side of that, what, what will you see, or, or what indication from Cincinnati would lead you to believe it's going to be a long night?
2: Yeah, I think honestly, I think it's the same thing. I think I mentioned the offensive line is a huge weakness. If UCF is able to bring the house every time, and if Ritter can't get his throws off, if he starts getting rattled and starts throwing interceptions, then it's going to be a long day for the offense also. I don't mean to give the same answer, but that's that's how how it's been all year, is that the offense is the one that's holding Cincinnati back at times. So, yeah, if Ritter is unable to get the passes off, and if the offensive line struggles, then it could be a long day.
0: Last question for you. This is this is kind of the it, 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 there's a little bit of a renaissance right now with Cincinnati football coming back to the fore. Is this something that you believe is going to be sustainable for the University of Cincinnati or is this just a peak that's going or, or could this just be a peak that can be that could easily be followed by a valley for example um you know, if uh, if Luke Fickle say decides to move on or something like that, what what what's the what's the sense in in Bearcat Country about you know is Cincinnati football here to stay?
2: Well, I think you just answered the question yourself. I think it comes down to Luke Fickle. We have experienced so much turnover. It was one coach for three years, one coach for three years, one coach for three years, and then it was Tommy Tuberville and that disaster for four years. So. We're in year three of Luke Fickle, obviously 11 wins last year and trending hopefully towards double-digit wins again this season, but it really comes down to him staying long-term. I don't know that Cincinnati can continue to recycle coaches, and it's hard to answer that question about long-term and sustained success without knowing who would come in for Luke Fickle. I think as long as he's here, this team is on the rise, and this team will be a perennial uh, conference conference contender every year he's doing a really good job recruiting as you know Cincinnati is sort of a hotbed for players there's been a lot there's I think I believe it's the sixth most NFL players were born and raised in Cincinnati so the previous regime previous regimes did a really really terrible job of building up relationships with the local coaches it's what Luke Fickle has preached it is what he has prioritized since day one is relationships with the local high school coaches and getting those players and keeping them in state and our recruiting classes show that our recruiting classes have been in the top 50 the last couple of years which you know nationally isn't that exciting but for an aac team and for for cincinnati it's obviously very exciting and he's got a top five quarterback coming in next season uh a highly touted linebacker so the, the success is sustainable so long as Luke Fickle is here. It's hard, otherwise, it's hard to say without knowing who would fill his shoes.
0: All right. Well, uh, maybe this could be the uh, the spark of something new on Friday. Of course, we here at UCF hope not. But uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a wild night. Perhaps a taste of UCF's own medicine in terms of the crowd atmosphere at Nippert Stadium. Eight o'clock Friday night kickoff on uh, ESPN. UCF against Cincinnati. Mike Schneid, site manager from Down the Drive. Real quick, uh, where can people follow you?
2: Yeah, you can follow me personally at Schneid S-E-H-N-E-I-D, or you can follow Cincinnati at Down the Drive. If you do follow me personally, I will say this. I am a big advocate for UCF. I, I don't buy into all this media hype, media hoopla and the noise. I do respect and support what you guys have done. I think it's, what, 29 of 31 games. I mean, to me, that's amazing. I know that the response to that is, well, you haven't played anybody. Well, if you haven't played anybody, then neither is Cincinnati, neither is Memphis, neither is Houston, and those teams haven't won 29 of 31. And if the AAC is better than the Mountain West, then that means Boise State really hasn't played anyone, and they haven't (laughs) won 29 of 31. So I, I I get sick of the noise, and I get sick of hearing people say, well, Go join a real conference because, you know, you guys can just pack your bags and go to the Big 12 anytime right. you want, I guess, uh, or go play someone. When you started with that Stanford game, it was they were top 10 in the country five years ago. So I, I don't know what people expect. I just want to say I do have a ton of respect for UCF. I, I admire the streak, and you know, I hope the streak takes a hit on Friday, but I hope you guys continue this meteoric rise because it's great for the conference and it's good for Cincinnati to have some great competition.
0: You hear that, UCF Twitter Mafia? Be nice to Mike. Mike Schneid from, from <laughs> down nice. the drive.
2: Don't, don't, don't tweet those burning night gifs at me, please. I'm sick of seeing those.
0: <laughs> what is it The guys from Fear the Wave were like, yeah you know a twitter a twitter thread is going is going off the rails when you see the when you see the burning night just, you just have to get out of there real quick mike thank you so much for joining us um enjoy the game on friday and uh, we'll talk to you come basketball season all right
2: yeah appreciate it take care
0: all right thanks again to mike for uh joining us and make sure you follow down the drive he's are they're, they're, they're good people over there uh covering the bearcats um eric lopez back with me here um so, what are we making of that? I, I wanted to ask you about uh, two things before we before we take a break: TV audience and the spread. Do you think you know? Because UCF is at minus four; it's gone up a little bit. It's from three point five; it's in four point five at some places. Um, you think that's about right?
1: Uh, you know, it depends on your perspective. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. I mean, right, I mean, think about it. If, if UCF's about a four and a half point favorite on the road, if this game was. The home team usually gets three points, right? So what that basically tells you is that if this game was played at UCF, UCF would be more than a touchdown favorite. It'd be about a seven and a half, eight point, you know, seven and a half point favorite uh, deal there. So, you know, do you expect a blowout like last year? You probably think it's low. Now, I, I would caution Cincinnati. I think if, if they if they would if they were if you put a truth serum. I think last Saturday night, last year, primetime, ABC, I think that got to Cincinnati. I think yeah. they were overwhelmed by the crowd. Everyone they, were a bit, by the... they were a
0: bit part, and they were not, they were not ready for that. I don't know I if don't anyone could were. be ready for that kind of an
1: atmosphere, correct. to be honest with you. We're, correct, whereas this time they're at home uh, in that deal. The thing that makes you nervous about those numbers, and I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, outside of the Memphis game last year at Memphis, where UCF won by a point, I believe every game UCF has won in the Josh Heupel era has been double digits.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's correct. Um, so,
1: so, I mean, you can look that up. And the reason I bring that up is if you're taking UCF, odds are, the odds are that UCF will cover, and rather maybe comfortably. They don't play close games. Um, and that's something that some people have brought up as a concern. I don't know. Are you concerned about that? That, And it sounds bizarre in a weird way that UCF does not play in close games that that worries you a little bit, that maybe yeah. that hurt, hurt them in the Pittsburgh game because they weren't in a situation like that. Now, some of those scores are a little misleading because they were games going into the fourth quarter, and then UCF maybe put in an extra touchdown to make the score bigger. So uh, is that a concern about – do you have that concern that – you haven't played... You don't play close games normally. I, I don't know. Do you re, do you buy into that theory?
0: I do, when, especially when you have a freshman quarterback. You know, I, I think with Mackenzie Milton, it was a little bit different. Like, you think back to the Memphis game at Memphis last year. Um, You know, you had a well-seasoned veteran quarterback back there leading you to victory, right? When you put the ball in the hands of a freshman... And I know Dylan's a cool customer. He really is, but... We've seen in already in a close game at pit down one with one minute to go, he takes two sacks. And you can't do that. You can't tell me that UCF doesn't have did wouldn't have had the weapons to at least get into field goal range in that situation. Um if if you had a player if you had a player with a little bit more experience in their back pocket there, right? Okay. And, and I hate playing this game. I feel bad because it sounds like I'm getting on Dylan's case. But if you switch, if you put McKenzie in there, a healthy McKenzie in there for that last drive with a minute to go, you don't think UCF gets in a field goal range against Pitt? I do. Um, you can't take two sacks in the final. Minute. Now, hopefully he learned from that. And that's where I think, you know, the loss at Pitt in the long term may end up doing this team and these players, especially Dylan Gabriel, right. some good. Um, but you mentioned it. One score games, okay? UCF in the Josh Heupel era, from 2018 till now, has played in one. Let's see, one, two, uh, and Pitt would be three games decided by one score. And UCF is one and two in both of those games. They won the Memphis yep. game. They lost the they lost the Fiesta Bowl to LSU, and they lost two weeks ago to Pitt. Um, now that 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 matters to me, uh, and, and partially because you know your close games are where are where teams are forged. Great teams are forged, and I think that if this is a close game, it's going to be it's going to be real. The, the onus is going to fall on Dylan Gabriel to not do what he did in the pit game and settle down, find his receivers, and maybe make some plays. Um, that uh, that normally we didn't, we wouldn't have to really worry about. In 2017, under Scott Frost, by the way, Eric Lopez, uh, UCF played two games that were decided by... Uh, or, excuse me, one, two, three, four... Yeah, four games decided by one score, and they won all four of them. SMU, uh, USF, Memphis in the championship game, obviously, and then Auburn. So... Yeah, and, and and that's the that was the last three games of the season, right? South Florida, Memphis, yep. and Auburn against three yep. ranked teams, uh, and uh, and three one score games. One of them went to overtime, um, and uh, and it, and UCF won all three of those games. So that's how you that's how you forge that experience. Oh,
1: yeah. So if you're Luke uh, Fickle in Cincinnati. And this is a three-point game going into the fourth quarter. You're feeling good, right? Oh,
0: you're feeling real good. You're feeling real good. Because then you, then I feel like you would want to, you know, sick the defense on the, on the freshman. But yeah. this goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. The wild card in this is, does Josh Heupel then flip the deck and go with Daryl Mack, a guy with a little bit more experience, right? Even though he hasn't, he's only played in one half this year. Do you put? Do you then put? You know, in a certain moment, are, do you, do you have the quick hook on Dylan? And maybe you put Daryl in there to try and settle things down a little bit. I don't know. What does that do to Dylan Gabriel? Um, man, it, it's it's kind of it's I mean, when you you think know, about it, it's kind of a nice problem it's to have. But gotta yeah, you got to let it play out. You got to let yeah, it play, let out. play out. And
1: again, again, my point is on the spread is if you believe Cincinnati can win this game, then you know that, that if it's a close game, that you would pick Cincinnati. Whereas if you're going to pick UCF, I would not pause at the four and a half if you feel confident that UCF will win their yeah. odds are they're going to cover that uh, right. like I do I think they will cover but you know I think well you'll know by the first half I think yeah you, I don't think UCF can afford to get off to the slow start like they did in Pittsburgh um, could they come back sure but I, I just wouldn't recommend that uh, uh, in Cincinnati okay. uh, because I think that I would give Cincinnati the confidence and I think it's the, the other way around if Cincinnati gets off to a bad start that takes away their Confidence. So this is a very psychological game in a lot of ways because if UCF jumps on Cincinnati, it's almost like a it's a it's a, it's a continuation of last year's game. Whereas mm-hmm. if Cincinnati gets off to a great start, all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, is this Pittsburgh all over again? Yeah, I think there's remember a
0: remember Cincinnati got off to a good start last year. Remember they had the defense fumble on score. the first play, the first defensive defense, score, yeah. and. Yeah. And then UCF just kind of chipped away, and then finally broke through with a couple of touchdowns. And they had the they had the was, block Milton field was goal. Very
1: good. Milton, again, as I yeah, mentioned earlier, Milton was very good. And they they really he got he got great protection from the offensive line, and they were able to go over the top against Cincinnati in the passing game uh, because Cincinnati played to stop the run. So mm-hmm. if that is to happen here again, can Dylan Gabriel do the same thing that, that McKenzie did last year?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. One last thing before we uh, before we take a take a breather. Um, TV numbers uh, down this year uh, in the last yeah. couple games for UCF. Uh, Three hundred twenty-two thousand viewers watched UCF demolish UConn on ESPN. Two, I think that was pretty much because the game was over in the first five minutes. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, you know, but nonetheless, that's still you wrote on blackandgoldbanneret.com It's down from the four hundred forty-four thousand. Which was last year, although that was the Thursday night of the opener, o- right? Opener, opener, right? And uh, and that was on for, and that was on ESPNU, and that was with oh my god, thank God football's back, being the big storyline. Sure. So, it, but is there any indication from your end? Because you follow these numbers closer than anybody I know. Um, is there any indication that there's a little bit of worry about erosion of the TV audience for UCF right
1: now? Well, let me, let me explain it this way. I, first of all, ratings are down in general, slightly in college football. Uh, but here's a newsflash: people don't like blowouts. Um, so well, why do you think that is? We've, had some, we've had
0: some pretty, we've had some pretty good games so far this year, though we haven't had any classics really yet.
1: No, I. Well, in mean, my opinion, and we're not going to get into it in this episode. I think the sport as a whole, the product right now, is not good. Uh, I think there's only a handful of good teams, and I think there's a lot of. Uh, you know the way the game is being played now. There's it leads yourself to a lot of mismatches and a lot of blowouts. Um, you know, so I just don't think the product's great. But that be, that's besides the point. Um, I think first of all, UConn's not a TV draw in football. Right. All right. Let's and I and I broke that down in the article. If you check black and gold banneret, uh, they they have not drawn well, especially since Edsel's been back. You know, they're not a big football draw. They're a basketball draw. So that doesn't help. I was shocked that this game was a seven o'clock slate. Uh, to be honest with you, I was and I think,
0: too. You know, that that seemed that seemed odd to me that they would do that. And
1: I do, I do, I do wonder about this. When they made the selection, it was before the pit game. I wonder if they were just going with well, they're going to beat Pitt, they're going to be undefeated. That storyline continues. I do wonder now that UCF has lost if that takes some of the interest away from watching UCF because I think a part of the whole UCF angle the last couple of years was the fact that they kept winning they were winning and they were lose. they had a long streak like they weren't even they were afterthought over the weekend nobody really talked about them it was a huge difference than that's been the last couple of years so I wonder if UCF right now in the national perspective is on the backdrop you know what I mean because they lost and I think that kind of hurt the numbers too in the Yukon game it's like well you know they lost so it's no big deal now I'm going to watch something else uh, so I, I, I'm very interested to see how they do against Cincinnati on Friday night. Uh, that I, that 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 that's gonna it, be interesting to me.
0: I think it's kind of a combination of, of that. I I do think that UCF losing does take some of the luster out of the national draw per se, and that's not to say that nobody watched the game. It's still four hundred forty four thousand, but um, there's. I, but I, I get what you're saying on that. I think that now the bigger draw for UCF would be, well, are you playing a really good team? You know, I, if it was if it was a different opponent, and this plays into what you were saying, if it was say Cincinnati or Temple or USF on a Friday night, which we'll hopefully we'll get this year. Um, we have to wait on that time slot, but you know that, that'll be that should be a good. We'll see about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but but that should be a good. It'll at least be an interesting matchup, and that should be a, that should be a good TV draw. I think we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, the Tulane game might be pretty interesting, looking down the line. Depends on get, the slot.
1: Yeah, it depends on the slot. I think this Friday, slot. this Friday will be interesting because that slot that ESPN has usually gets you about anywhere between 1.2 to 2 million viewers, depending on the matchup.
0: Does that, uh, d- d- the, is there Do more people watch on Thursday or Friday night?
1: Uh, you, it's actually, you know, it, it, it varies. It depends on the matchup because if they have a marquee Thursday, but the trend has been more better games on Friday. Why is that? Well, because there's this thing called the national football league that's taken over Thursday night. So, So, uh, as a result, you don't see the marquee games on Thursday night as much as you used to maybe back in the day. So I think slowly, yes, you are seeing more of an audience on Friday night than Thursday night. Uh, You're seeing more marquee programs playing on Friday night than Thursday night. Uh, For example, UCF are going to be playing a couple times uh, in the written not counting Black Friday on Friday night. Notice they don't have a Thursday night game on ESPN. So uh, I believe East Carolina Temple, I believe, is the Thursday night game this week. So um, not a headline because, (laughs) again, the (laughs) the NFL is a monster the, uh, on Thursday night as much as you know it's funny as much as people hate Thursday, oh I hate NFL Thursday night football is this or that people still watch um, it, and it's still the number one television program prime time of the week which is nuts considering people supposedly hate it so and I think this Friday is gonna be interesting though because you got the major league baseball divisional playoffs going on so mm-hmm. they're gonna go head to head for example the Yankees the New York Yankees which is arguably the biggest draw in baseball Will be going on at the same time. Game one, or I believe, yeah, game one of their American League Division Series against the Twins will be going on at the same time as the UCF football game. Uh, In fact, the Yankee game maybe gets a head start. I think they're like a 7:30 pitch. Now, what's fascinating about that? That's an MLB Network game, uh, which shocked me a little bit. It's not going to be on FS1. Now, FS1 has a game, couple games that day as well. So, how does the game does against Major League Baseball is going to be interesting in the playoffs, especially when you have the Yankees and the Dodgers uh, in prime time on Friday. Those are arguably your two biggest draws right now in the playoffs in Major League Baseball. So that's going to be a challenge for UCF football game. And while this is not a sport, there are viewers that would normally watch college football that will probably be watching WWE SmackDown on Fox, which has been super heavily promoted. uh, That starts
0: this week, doesn't
1: it? It does. And they're going to have The Rock on the show, and they're going to have all this – bells and whistles so you wonder do you lose a casual fan that you know you know there are people that watch football and watch wrestling so do you lose some of those people that watch wrestling so i'm very fascinated to see how the numbers do for cincinnati uh uh, you would like to get it over a million that's the goal if you go under a million then eh, that that that's a little concern yeah
0: you know the um i was just thinking you brought this up also and 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 we'll take a break after this but um you know mentioning the baseball You've got some major marquee markets um in the baseball playoffs this year. Uh, you know, in the yep. AL you have obviously the Yankees are a draw anyway, even though they're playing the twins, not a big market, but the Yanks are the draw there. Houston is in the playoffs once again. They'll be playing um either Tampa Bay or Oakland. Well that'll probably be decided by the time you hear this, but um Houston, number four market in the country, uh, in terms of T V viewers. Um and on the NL side, you have the Braves national brand, you have St. Louis national brand playing each other. You got the Dodgers, of course, and then you have Washington um, uh, playing the Dodgers as well. So, uh, so yeah, this is going to be uh, this next month might be a difficult one for um, for college football in that in that sort of UCF level as they're going up against uh, against some marquee. I mean, well. Don't yeah. they don't they yeah. want Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series again, huh? I mean
1: Well that would be ideal, especially <laughs> yeah. and there's a little factoid. This is really why probably Brian is not with us. The Yankees I don't know if you realize this, because you're a Yankee fan. You realize the Yankees have not made the World Series this decade.
0: Yeah, the, the last World Series time, was two thousand nine.
1: The last time the Yankees went a decade without making a World Series appearance. Wanna guess?
0: Uh it was the nineteen eighties.
1: No, they made it that one time. In oh, that's right.
0: 1981, they did make it. But guess, because uh, that's
1: arguably the worst decade in Yankee history. Yeah, yeah
0: let's see. I mean, let's I mean. see. The 70s, 70s, they won twice. 60s, they won in the beginning. 50s, obviously. 40s, 30s, 20s. I don't think it's ever happened.
1: It happened in the 1910s.
0: God, I don't even think they were called the Yankees at that time.
1: <laughs> you would know better than I do. I just know that is the last decade that the Yankees or franchise or whatever they were called as. If they weren't the might Yankees, been,
0: they might have been the Highlanders at that point.
1: They might have been. When was Babe Ruth sold to the Yankees? Was that
0: 1921?
1: So they had. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So well, they were re- okay. Fought. So they were renamed the Yankees in 1913. So that was. Um, so that was the decade. Uh, they were they were the New York Highlanders for ten years after they moved from Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, in 1903, uh, and they were the Highlanders for 10 years, and then they became the Yankees in 1913.
1: So yeah, that's pretty amazing. That they, yeah. They, so they have not reached. They did not reach the World Series that decade. Since then, every decade they have reached at least the World Series uh, uh, appearance in the decade, at least once. So uh, that's a storyline that will develop in baseball. And you brought it up. Here's the thing: Major League Baseball. If you look at the way they've changed their postseason schedule, they've made an effort to try to avoid going head-to-head against the NFL as much as possible. Their target is to go after college football. Yeah. And the reason is because a lot of, as you know this, having traveled in the Northeast, which baseball is still big, they're still, that's still a hot baseball sports talk radio sport. Nobody cares about college football up north. And you look yeah. at them, you know, so you, you know, and that's where – so it will be very fascinating, not just this Friday, but in the coming weeks, how big college football is affected, like you mentioned, going against the baseball playoffs.
0: All right, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, we're going to take a break when we get back. We got a busy, busy week of action, uh, weekend of action in uh, in soccer and volleyball, and uh,
1: Judgment Week.
0: It is yes, it is Judgment Week in those sports, and we'll preview all that uh, coming up in just a moment. This is the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Brian Murphy has uh, the show off. Um, but we, uh, but this is the segment when he, he likes to joke, when he usually likes to take off anyway, when we're, t- <laughs> we're yeah. talking about um, uh, uh, non-football sports here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And if you haven't been paying attention, now's the time to pay attention. This is a huge week for both soccer programs and the volleyball program in terms of big-time conference matchups. And we're going to start with men's soccer. Uh, They have won, let's see, five, six in a row. They are unbeaten in their last eight. They beat FAU at home last night, last night being Tuesday night, um, 3-2 to in overtime. It was Cal Jennings who scored the game winner, surprise, surprise. Um and UCF got uh, got the W. Louis Perez actually scored UCF's first two goals, including the game tying goal in the 85th minute, um and then Jennings scored in the 94th minute, uh to get uh to give UCF um the victory. But the Knights are now seven one and one, and they are moving up uh in the polls. They are now up to number uh what is it? I think I just saw it number eleven. Um, right now, in the uh, in the United Soccer Coaches poll, and that sets up a massive, massive game this Sunday for uh, UCF men's soccer as they take on the SMU Mustangs, who are number four in the country. So number four versus number eleven. It's in Dallas. It will be uh, it will be uh, streamed on SMU's website.
1: It's actually going to be on the American Digital Network. Oh, it's I've been told. oh, it is. Well, okay,
0: good. Well, I'm be, glad uh, to...
1: Lincoln Rose is going to be calling that match. Good, because uh, I'm glad Sunday that night, they're
0: doing right? that too. Because this is this is the kind of matchup that they need to get on real quick uh, over there too. And I'm glad that they did that. Yeah. Eight o'clock Eastern Sunday night. So, yeah. um, man, this is huge. Uh, and we haven't seen the uh, the men's RP, men's soccer RPI come out just yet, um, but. No doubt, this game is going to have a massive impact on that, and um, it's good for the conference, number four versus number eleven. Um, but man, is this a huge opportunity for UCF as they could—I uh, mean—a victory here against SMU, and now you're talking top ten ranking. Um, no doubt, possibly a buy, no doubt a buy in the NCAA, assuming assuming the rest of the season goes as it goes according to plan. But could we be thinking about? You know, this is the first real test for them to see if they're a national championship contender,
1: Eric. Well, remember they played number one ranked Wake Forest this year, and they played uh, North Carolina to start the year. So
0: yeah, (laughs) they played, but that's uh, a little different. That's the first. That's the first couple games of the season. You know, I know d I don't don't mean. I don't want to sound like I'm poo-pooing it, but um, you know, yeah, they lost by one goal, two to one at Wake, beat North Carolina two to one uh, at in Chapel Hill. But this is like the heat of the conference season. Um, familiarity breeds contempt. These teams have played each other a bunch of times in the conference tournament.
1: This is what's at stake here. This is what's at stake here. You've got the two best teams in the conference. They have played for the conference championship the last two years. I think you were there last year uh, yeah. when UCF hosted, but SMU won on penalty kicks uh, in the final to win the, uh, the championship. Two years ago, they played in Dallas. SMU won on a golden goal. So this has been a, a nemesis that UCF has been able to, but you know, not been able to get through as far as the conference tournament the winner of this match takes a big step in in winning the regular season title takes a big step in hosting the conference championship takes a big step in hosting uh, not only in the regionals but possibly put themselves in position to be hosting all the way up until the college cup uh, yeah. you know top drawer soccer has SMU ranked number two UCF's number nine these are you can make the argument that these are two teams that are college cup contenders. I don't know if we have ever said that, Jeffrey, in the modern era of UCF men's soccer, but they are. that's what it's at stake. If they were to go into SMU and win, I think they would make a statement, and I think you would hear the conversation from the soccer people that they're a legit College Cup national title contender.
0: No, I think that's true. Um, I mean, we know that, but it's one thing when the rest of the country knows it, and I think a victory sure. over SMU would certainly vault UCF into um, – international uh, think, international lady, conversation
1: it's also a big match for players like cal jennings let's say cal jennings has a monster game and dominates that match against smu mm-hmm. his possibility of winning the herman trophy which is the heisman of men's soccer also increases uh i mean there's so many things on the line with this match it is a monster matchup it's the biggest men's soccer match of the year, you could argue, in the league. Maybe the biggest men's soccer regular season match they've had in the history of the league. Think about it. When when, when have we had these two highly ranked teams in this conference before? I don't think yeah. we've had that since the league is – I mean, this is a monster matchup uh, that's going to decide. And I think that it, it influenced the FAU match a little bit. I think UCF was caught looking ahead, uh, fell behind a couple times. They had to come from behind to win. uh you know, Louis Perez with a couple goals, and then Cal finished it off in overtime. They were fortunate. They didn't play their best, but they got the win, and that's what great teams do. But Scott, Scott Calabrese knows no matter if it's SMU or not, when you're playing in conference, it's all about staying focused and locked in.
2: Conference plays more intense, and um, it, you need more concentration. There's, uh, there's just a different level that's expected, that's demanded, uh, because there's more on the line. So I think it's a good reminder for the team that we, we absolutely have to meet that and hopefully set, set the bar with regard to that.
1: That was Scott Calabrese, and that was after the Temple win. By, oh, by the way, they opened conference play last week. They shut out Temple. You know, prior to that, uh, the FAU match, they had shut out their opponents, I believe, for their last five matches. Um, here's another interesting stat. You want to talk about UC fast? So UCF right. now has scored in five straight matches. They have scored within the first seven minutes of the match.
0: That'll do it. <laughs> that seems like that seems like it's right out of the Josh Heupel playbook, right? <laughs> Get on top early.
1: <laughs> it's a big match. It's, an yeah. it's a weird slot Sunday night eight o'clock. You don't see that often in men's soccer, but uh, hopefully a lot of people tune in. It will be on the digital network as I mentioned. Um, so it's a big match. It's a huge match. Um, if you're UCF, honestly, a draw is not the worst thing in the world when you're on. I, I always believe this. I don't know if you agree with this. If you're on the road, a draw is just as good as well. I mean, obviously you prefer the win, but if you get a draw, that's almost, that's the second, you know, that's, that's just, just as good. You know, it's a great result on the road against a team like SMU, who's just as good as anybody. Yeah. I mean, that's just a huge showcase for the league.
0: I think it depends on the plot of the game, right? If you, if you yeah. have a league, give up a late goal and it ends up in a draw, then you're kind of not feeling so good about it. Uh, even if it's on the road, it's like, you may, we could have stolen one, stolen three points on the road here. Good point. On the other hand, if you fight to draw, you play well and you fight to a draw in a game that maybe you probably should have lost then you feel a little bit differently about it so it's just something we'll have to watch on Sunday night at 8 o'clock in the American Digital Network by the way one last update on Cal Jennings he's got nine goals on the season uh, and that is uh, that is tied for second in the country with let's see 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, with 6 other guys including Jordan Hall of UConn by the way who scored nine yeah. goals? On the the uh, nation's leader, by the way, is Kimarni Smith of Clemson. He's got eleven.
1: And by the way, right behind Cal Jennings, Garrett McLaughlin of SMU has eight goals. SMU, who's undefeated this year, averages three and a half goals per game. They are yeah. di- they're just as dynamic offensively, uh, Jeffrey. We could, I mean, this is going to be a wild, wild match. I have a feeling back and forth. Two teams they like to go up and down. Uh, they're averaging three and a half goals a game, but they have only allowed three goals in nine matches. SMU has outscored their opponents thirty-one to three this year. That is Ooh. unbelievable. Now, in the in defense, they don't have the tough schedule that UCF has, although they do have a big win at Duke. That's their marquee win. They opened conference play last week with a five to one win at Tulsa. They're a very dominant team. This is uh they've shot a hundred. And here's the thing: you like shots. You're gonna love this match. Use SMU has had 167 shots in nine matches. That's almost mm-hmm. 20 a game, um, and UCF likes to shoot as well. So this is a uh, Yeah, this is gonna be something. This gonna be big. To
0: We're, I'm gonna be putting that one on the big TV and putting the the uh, NFL game on the laptop. That's how big this game's gonna be. Um, so eight o'clock Sunday, UCF men's soccer against SMU. Um, women's soccer. Uh, they uh, split their conference openers over the weekend. They they were locked in another. Now we'll start on Thursday against Memphis. They were locked in another just knockdown, dragout street fight with Memphis uh, again at the UCF Dragon Soccer Complex. A late goal by Memphis that was controversial. Um, actually yep. gave or, or not a late goal. It was in the thirty third minute, but it was a, but it, a pretty controversial goal. Gave Memphis the win. Memphis is now ten and one. UCF um, uh, is uh, at the moment is six two and two because they beat Tulsa on Sunday uh, three to nothing. But, but let's go back to that Memphis game. We know how how difficult this is. You know this rivalry is between these two squads. Um, and again, it's it comes down to mere inches where uh, Samantha Murphy of Memphis. Um, kicked a ball that looked like it bounced off the crossbar, bounced straight down, bounced off then bounced off the post and bounced away, and the flag official who was not really in I saw a replay of it. The flag official who was not in position to see the to see whether the ball fully crossed the goal line ruled it a goal. Um, right
1: which is what got a lot of I mean I was there there were a lot of people upset about that
0: yeah it was, really it was really it was really upset well, uh, we couldn't even re- you can't even really see if the the video replay of it uh, I've seen the video replay of it. it was still it's still hard to tell even on video I would lean toward you know it not going in but uh, you know it's just it's it stinks to lose on a call like that that was so not clear-cut um especially a game of that magnitude
1: yeah especially since you you can argue you outplayed them if you look at the the stat sheet they outscored they outplayed them had more corners had more control of the ball uh I think that was a that was a frustrating thing I mean coaches you'll hear from coach in a, in a little bit I mean she felt good about how they played that match It was just kind of a lucky unlucky break UCF had one a similar shot in the second half that didn't go their way went off the post um you know, and that was a tough, tough result there. It, and, you know, boy, you wish, you know, you kind of wish there was replay maybe in college. You know, there's talk about college baseball having replay in selective stadiums. Softball might be going in that direction. You wonder if why can't, you know, maybe if that's the next step in soccer, if they would ever consider that in a college game. Yeah. Uh, or, at least that go, or at least that
0: goal, goal cameras to see if the ball right, crossed over saying. completely, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and it that that stings a lot because I mean Memphis would go on and beat South Florida, which is impressive, to to sweep the state of Florida. So Memphis has a stranglehold in this league right now to win the regular season title and host, and they're very legit. They're very good. And yet, if you're UCF, you felt you were right there with them, and that's the thing that that hurts them. They bounce back. They beat Tulsa three nothing. I was there for both of those matches, and yeah, you know, I I had a chance to catch up with Coach Sahadak after the match and she feels good about her team and especially her deep bench
0: Sunday is always a tough
1: match uh, like you said it's, it's the heat it's uh, just a lot of load from Thursday emotional so the deep bench really comes into play and I believe this is
0: the deepest most talented uh, bench that we've ever had
1: that's coach Zahid and, and, and Jeffrey let me, let me I mean I you know she feels good and think they got a big match here at SMU which we're going to talk about but you know, we, we talk so much and fans talk so much about the, the, the playoff system and how football is not good. And, oh, you know, the NCAA tournament is great and all this. But this is where I, I think the NCAA, and I, I'm going to bring this up to some coaches here, has got their own flaws, too. Let's not make a mistake about this. OK, and I'm going to give you UCF as an example. UCF is receiving votes in the polls. Um, they've beaten Florida. Who, who's having a good year in the SEC? They they were neck and neck with Memphis, who's a top ten team in the country. They played uh, Wisconsin, who's the top twenty five team, one nothing match. And yet, you look at the RPI. UCF's only ranked ninety first. They're only ninety one in the RPI. Uh-huh. And what hurts them is their strength of schedule, quote unquote, is only two hundred and seventeen, which is just. And and what's hurt them is a lot of teams they thought was going to be good, like Arizona State, for example. Is in the hundreds in the RPI. Mm-hmm. How do you predict that? Um, you know the, the California two California teams, teams they
0: play. Yeah, they, they they're struggling they're this down. year too, aren't they?
1: They're down. Yes, they're in the one fifties, I believe. When I checked, uh, the thing that's hurting them is that draw at George Mason. George Mason's in the two hundreds. Yeah, uh, but this is my problem, Jeff, and this is the thing that's surprised that, that it's interesting. Men's college basketball got rid of the RPI last year. They created this system called the NET because they were not satisfied with the RPI yet these other sports maintain using the RPI and I and I've seen UCF a lot in person uh, I saw them this week against Memphis in particular in Tulsa you know and I've seen them on TV against Florida I've seen them against, the eye test if you watch this team they're not the 91st best team they're closer to the 25th best team than the 91st I actually think the coaches the people that are voting are more accurate in this case than the RPI numbers would suggest. And I think that's the flaw here Mm -hmm. is you can't just base it on numbers because certain teams don't turn out to be as good as maybe we thought when you schedule them out of conference. This team is a good team. This is a top-30 team. But my concern is, Jeff, because of the numbers and the committee will always just cower out to the numbers and they'll say, well, they only have a 91 RPI, they may not give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's the flaw. There's flaws in every postseason system. And th- I just exposed it here in women's soccer. And you look at it, to me, Jeff, that's why, if you look at this Thursday, they're at number 22 SMU. Must win, in my opinion. Why? Because SMU's RPI is 41. I'm going to read you the rest of UCF's schedule. Ready for this? You might you might uh, might want to grab a paper bag here. Okay. So SMU's RPI is 41. That's on Thursday. They're ranked in the top 25. Right. They go to Houston. Houston's RPI, 235. Ugh they host temple then on the 16th their rpi 213 not good yukon 168 at east carolina (laughs) 167
0: yeah that's the soft spot this is the soft spot of the schedule right
1: (laughs) cincinnati at cincinnati 155 they close on halloween night against south florida who's 26 you brought this up two weeks i think two episodes ago and you the American for is down this year. You meant, you mentioned it. When you first saw those RPI numbers, that was your initial instincts. Yeah, it's was, very wow, top-heavy. Yeah, very top-heavy. They're only ranked ninth this year in the conference. That's my concern with women's soccer. I think they almost have to win out in the regular season to put themselves in position to be an at-large, uh, and that would include wins over SMU in South Florida, which are quality wins. I, yeah. I do, That's And they would need
0: concern. probably to win one or two more in the tournament too, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Probably, depending on what the numbers are. So I think this is a big match for the women's team uh, because I think they're better than that. And that's why I don't like I think it'll be interesting to me when the other sports follow men's basketball and say, you know what, this RPI is flawed and and go with a different system. But this is a big match for them. Uh, But I think coach said likes how their team is playing and she likes the depth that they have. And that's going to pay off for them uh, because they should have more depth than just about everybody on the schedule, maybe except USF. That's going to be a big match. But this is a big match on Thursday against SMU. They've got to get a result here, Jeffrey, because unfortunately, as I just read to you, they only have two matches where they can get a quality, uh, quality RPI games. Uh, yeah. So you have to, to me, they have to win out because you want to avoid losing to Houston, Temple, you all those teams. You can't afford a loss,
0: uh, right? Because a really loss will kill prepare. you much more than a win would. I mean, a- absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and, it's, uh, so it's and really it seems kind of weird that they're not getting any credit for the victories that they had also earlier in the season in the because usually you see yeah. that when you get a big win the rpi bumps you up but it doesn't seem like that like like you know the victory over even just playing memphis would bump you up uh in terms yeah. of your rpi but they but they don't seem to have gotten enough yeah. of a boost They've at not least this point Not been friendly, at all. Not yeah, been friendly so. at
1: all five of the ten matches are against teams 150 or worse in the rpi i mean how do you predict that though ohio state was a team that was a top four Big Ten team. Their RPI is one eighteen. You can't predict that, Jeff. You can't. Yeah. What are you supposed to do?
0: That's true, but you sound like a football fan.
1: <laughs> but my point, uh, that's my point. Every yeah. sport has this problem.
0: Right. So we're gonna have to see. Here's the part that's a little a little scary for me though. Is that you know you mentioned this. We mentioned the soft spot in the schedule after SMU, but for their next six are on the road. You know, yep. I mean, so you're playing you're playing some teams that are that are kind of in in that soft spot but it, it's never easy on the road it is it, it just isn't so this is the Texas road trip coming up this weekend the following weekend they got the their home for Yukon and Temple thank goodness they don't have to go up there where it's going to be cold and then Thursday Sunday the 24th and 27th at ECU and then at Cincinnati the Cincinnati game late October that that could be a pretty uh yep. a pretty cold game too uh before they finish Halloween night at home against uh, against South Florida. Um, when you look at the uh, standings in the American, um, at least as of right this second here in uh, in women's soccer, you know Memphis and Cincinnati are two and zero in the league, even though Cincinnati is four five and two overall, and UCF is in a three way tie with South Florida and ECU. So in terms of getting the getting that all important hosting, you know I think that. Yeah, it, it, that might have been – that win against Memphis might have been UCF's best chance yeah. to secure hosting because now you gotta, now you got to hope Memphis loses twice. And I don't know if they have two I mean, it, I, the yeah, schedule. I don't
1: see that happening. I mean, Memphis has SMU on the schedule, but outside of that, they're going to be heavy favorites. They're really good. I watched them in yeah. person on that third. They're really good. This might be his best team, and he's had some great teams at Memphis over the years going back to conference, too, and say this might be his best team. They, they yeah. They're really good. That was a good match. That Thursday night You know how big it was By the way Our own Brian Murphy Was there as well
0: <laughs> That's right Murph was there Taking in a little uh, A little UCF yeah. women's soccer Jeremy action, Brenner
1: so. Made a cameo I mean it was big Brenner it was, was a, there
0: Who's, yeah. you. So. A, who's who
1: and, and the Orlando Pride Were there But yeah So my, uh, I'm very concerned Because I think this team Eye test wise Is a top 30 Top 35 team But the stats Don't say that So they gotta They gotta, you know, they gotta Go on a roll here And get yeah. themselves In the mix In my opinion
0: They gotta prove it and, uh, and they're going to get a chance to prove it against a ranked team. By the way, SMU has not played a conference match so far this season, which is kind of a surprise. Yeah, it's
1: kind of odd, ain't it?
0: Yeah, so weird how the schedule works out. So big weekend coming up for UCF women's soccer. Um, big weekends, by the way, for UCF volleyball. Here's where I really want UCF fans to pay attention now for volleyball, okay? Knights won their first two conference matches at home against the Northeastern teams, UConn and Temple. Swept them both ways. Um, and uh, and worked out some kinks, I thought in those matches, in particular uh, the Temple match where uh, Temple's probably going to be an improved team, but they're just not there yet. But uh, but UCF was able to, even though Temple was first to 20 in the third set, UCF was able to do something that they had some trouble with early in the season as we, as we know, and close them out. Uh, 20, I, I believe it, Temple was the first to 20 in the third. And then UCF scored, I think it was uh, 8 of the final 11 to finish it out. McKenna Melville with 18 kills against Temple. Amory Watson with 13. And Amory Watson is really emerging this season, I think. I mean, obviously she's been there for a while, but but she has stepped up her game to a completely different level on the right side. Um, and, uh, and McKenna Melville is just McKenna Melville. She also had 15 kills against UConn um in the uh, in the early match the conference opener is UCF um i, I really dominated UConn, held them to 053 hitting while hitting 411 of their own but the temple match i think on sunday was really the big one because temple kind of gave UCF uh, a little bit of a ride there in the third set and uh, and the knights looked like they weren't they didn't quite have their best game that day but it was good enough especially down the stretch when they needed it to get um, the victory, and uh, you know, I talked about it uh, with uh, Coach Dashney afterwards. Um, you know, the uh, the situation involving late game matchups and uh, and late game situations, and uh, he said he was pretty encouraged by what he saw from UCF late on Sunday.
2: Really, it just it came down to our serving game. I thought um, we really we were able to take them out of their rhythm, out of their system, uh, made them a little bit more predictable, which allowed us. We didn't get as many blocks as what we normally do. Um, But that's because they're more of a chip and roll, and they they don't let you block them. They don't want to make that mistake. Um, But our serve limited some of their options, and so we were able to get three blockers on two hitters. And we didn't get a lot of blocks, but we got a lot of really good touches that we were able to then turn around and convert quickly into points. Um, So I, I really think that's what happened at the end is we were just able to convert some points because of good serving.
0: So the ledger there, that's Coach from Todd Dagenet from UCF Volleyball. So the ledger right now for UCF is nine and five. They've won three in a row, but now they head on the road. And I really want you UCF fans who might be traveling to Cincinnati to pay attention. Because Friday night, we know the football game's happening at eight o'clock, right, Eric? Yep. 12 noon. Correct. 12 noon at Fifth Third Arena in Cincinnati, UCF Volleyball plays the Bearcats as well. Uh, it's a it's the, it's a tough road road trip uh, weekend. It's it's at Cincinnati at ECU. They got to fly from Cincinnati to somewhere in North Carolina, Charlotte or Raleigh, and then by, and then bus over. Uh, but uh, this matchup against Cincinnati is against uh, is against the best player in the conference, hands down, and who Todd DaGene said was the best player the conference has ever seen, Jordan Thompson. Um, the Bearcats coming in, they are the major threat, um, to UCF in the conference and in the division. Remember they have divisions in volleyball right now. Um, the Bearcats coming into this match are 10 and four. Uh, they've knocked off the likes of of Tennessee who is ranked. Um, they've knocked off Notre Dame. Um, they've, uh, they've beaten Xavier who's a pretty good team and swept him. Uh, went five with Louisville and lost, but what won their first two conference matches, including that meat grinder at Wichita State. That's always a tough place to play. But uh, but here comes UCF and Jordan Thompson, who again, um, is uh, just having another magnificent year. Uh, she's got 298 kills already on six sixty two swings, obviously that leads the um, the conference. Um, she's going to be on the United States Olympic team, or at least we hope, or at least she should be. Um, the most talented player that we've seen in her redshirt senior year, uh, six foot four outside hitter. I mean, she's just got she's got all the tools, man, and she's going to be a tough matchup for UCF. And that's where you know having her on the outside. That's where um, you know Anne Marie Watson and Catherine Westlich were her kryptonite last year in two matches that UCF won in five sets. Um, man this is just going to be huge and i hope that there's plenty of ucf in the stands uh for volleyball on noon on friday if you're getting up there to cincinnati for the game make sure you get up there early enough to see ucf volleyball right
1: what do you think about that noon start why not a little you know i'm sure facilities maybe had a hand on you know why not have it like two three o'clock a little closer to the kickoff or football game because that's a I mean, I guess they're trying to, they feel that if by doing it at noon, you can maybe get people there before tailgating, I guess, really kicks in. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting, complete opposite, tricky doubleheader. But yeah, it should be great. I mean, that's the two best teams, uh, volleyball-wise. Huge match. They played two classic five-setters last year, uh, five-set matches, both won by UCF, which propelled them to win the league. I think everybody would agree they're the two best teams in the league, and yet you mentioned it because of the the, the the changes this year with the conference tournament being added and going into two divisions, one of these teams more than likely, UCF or Cincinnati, whoever doesn't win their division, for those that don't know, basically think about the football divisions and apply it to volleyball. It's the same thing, uh, with the difference being that Wichita State is in the West like Navy would be in football. So whoever doesn't win the Eastern Division, either UCF or Cincinnati, is going to have to play an extra match in the quarterfinals in the conference tournament here in UCF in November. So whereas the team that wins the division get to buy into the semifinals. So that is a huge stakes Mm -hmm. for both teams. And I think it's a must win for Cincinnati, Jeffrey, because they're at home. Yeah. They lost to UCF twice last year. So I wonder if they were to lose again to UCF, that would be three in a row and you would have to come down to Orlando to try to beat them for the regular season title, that's going to be tough, maybe psychologically for Cincinnati to handle. So, um, you know, it's going to be fascinating. I can't wait. should be an exciting match. Um, you know, Thompson, you mentioned, I remember I called her freshman year. I called the match for the American Digital Network with Aaron Campbell. It was her freshman year. Cincinnati beat UCF. And I'll never forget Aaron Campbell, you know very well, is a friend of the show told me right there at that moment just watching her for the first time that's a future US Olympia she's an all-american legit right there and she's yeah. been, been proving correct she's a phenomenal player and it's been great for the league and I think it's helped raise the league a little bit too because she's brought a lot of attention to the league so uh, and yet you could maybe a passing of the torch this year Jeffrey could we see a passing of the torch from Thompson to someone like McKenna Melville who I think is phenomenal
0: Quite possibly, you know, because McKenna, remember, she got some international experience as well over the summer. Amory Watson also uh, tried out for the for that collegiate yep. national team. She didn't make it, but she still got to go to the camp and play against that competition. And I think that that really helped out her um, her development as well tremendously this year. Um, we might see a passing of the torch. Now, bear in mind, these two teams do play again, like you mentioned, Eric, on November 10th at UCF because they're in the division. You play your divisional opponents twice. Um, and that, by the way, would be senior day for UCF. That's the fi- regular wow, season finale. Really? So, yeah, Ooh. what a, what, a, what an opponent to bring in on the last uh, regular season matchup. Could have but, everything uh, on the
1: line still by that point.
0: Exactly. Even though UCF does have two matches right after that, at Temple and at UConn, uh, in mid-November, before the Knights host the conference championship. But still, uh, this is going to be a big... Uh, if you can get that tally up in their joint... That's gonna not just help your confidence. That helps your standings because you get them one more time at home, and it's also gonna really help out UCF's RPI as well. They haven't released the RPI yet for volleyball, but uh, if UCF can get that W up there, that would be a big boost um, to UCF's postseason um, prospects. Now I don't want to look too far ahead because ECU is also coming up, and that game is gonna be, or, or that match is gonna be tough enough. Um, ECU right now, uh, as we look at the standings. By the way, ECU is in the division. They're twelve and three overall, but they started off the conference season zero and two. Um, so they're off to a, a bit of a rough start. Cincinnati's at on ten road, and four. They lost a couple yep.
1: matches on the road. Uh, keep in mind, UCF' last conference loss was in two thousand seventeen at East Carolina.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, um, and that's I think twenty five consecutive. Conference matches in a row that you see up as one right now. Twenty-six
1: so. overall now, and then twenty-five or twenty-six overall, and then fifteen in a row quietly in the venue conference. With
0: that's least. right. So, uh, but this one's not in the venue. This is on the road. It's going to be the toughest test yet against a against a Cincinnati team that knows how close they came twice last year in those two matches, and and thinks that they two um, so teams they that a lot
1: of people believe will be an NCAA tournament field. I mean, yep. if you had to kind of project. Uh, they are the two teams from the American although Tulane may have something to say about that they might be the best team out west uh, they could be maybe, maybe the surprise maybe they're the team that becomes that pushes UCF and Cincinnati or maybe it's somebody else but I, I think head toe to toe these are the two most talented teams the two best teams in the league going in
0: right so uh, huge match and if, uh, and if you are uh, planning on stopping by volleyball I remember noon start noon eastern start uh, for, that, uh, for that match between UCF and Cincinnati, and Fifth Third Arena, where they play. If you've never been to Cincinnati's campus, the arena is right next to Nippert Stadium, the football stadium. So you don't theoretically you wouldn't have to leave to, you know, catch some volleyball. Are then you go sure tailgate. that's noon
1: Eastern, or, regular, or it's not noon Central. I'm looking
0: at I'm looking at uh, UCF the UCF schedule on the website, and that is, uh, and they list everything on Eastern time there. So it says noon Eastern. I'm just, I'm just going to double check the Cincinnati schedule real quick just to see what they have there. Because if it says 11 a.m. for no, it says 12 noon on Cincinnati on Cincinnati site. So mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, noon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What's the what time zone are we in in Cincinnati, I,
0: y'all? <laughs> yeah. Eastern. Whatever
1: it is, noon in Cincinnati.
0: I thought I thought Cincinnati was in the was in the was in the Central Time Zone, right? Looking I can't, believe, up, I can't believe I. I can't believe I'm live
1: on this podcast. It, actually, you know what? We're we're dumb. We're dumb, Jeff. They're they're Eastern Time Zone.
0: Oh, they are Eastern Time Zone. Okay, that's a yeah. They are in the Eastern Time Zone. They must be right on the edge of it, man, because, um, because yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I was I was I'm kinda a little I was a little surprised. I thought they were in Central Time, but they are in Eastern Time. All uh,
1: right. Right, yeah, Ohio is one of those weird states, right? Where certain parts are Central, certain are Eastern. Time.
0: Right. So noon, right, noon well, Eastern,
1: there, noon, noon people
0: noon eastern time so uh and they're right next to indiana which is in central time so but anyway um so that'll settle that so uh let's finish up by uh uh looking at what we have coming up uh this week obviously eric you've got the uh, the tv ratings um up there uh for ucf you've got uh uh a look also at the uh, three night stars balls. yep and uh uh, Murph has his checklist that he's been doing. It's been a pretty, it's a pretty busy week, man. We are eyeball deep into it, man. All of a sudden, here we are in the month of October, right?
1: It's huge. You know it's big when Murph's just skipping a show because he's got a lot of his plate. Because <laughs> he's big too week. busy. He's got short week. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a ton of things going on. But he's going to have his articles up there as well. He's going to be up shows, in Cincinnati. Shows you where,
0: shows you where we are on Murph's priority list, you know. And Jeez. rightfully so,
1: and rightfully so, probably. <laughs> uh, he'll be up in Cincinnati, up there. Obviously, so follow him on Twitter throughout the football game. Um, and then, you know, you we're going to be Obviously, we're going to be watching that game as well. We'll be social media. Uh, probably a Friday night night shift edition. There, are we going to do a? You guys going to do a late night? I'm planning on
0: life? it. Yeah, I'm hoping that we can. I'm hoping that we can do it if you're if you're up for staying up that late. I know. I mean, I know that the Australian Open is not on, so you know, I don't know how that affects your ability to stay. <laughs> no, but there's a late
1: Dodger baseball playoff game, so <laughs> uh, 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 that'll probably keep me up as well as after the football game. So we got that going on. We mentioned all the big sporting events going on at UCF uh, this week on the roll It's huge. I mean, this is a huge landmark yeah. judgment week for all the teams and where they stand moving forward. This is big. I mean, this is a one of the bigger weeks that I can remember uh, where every team, you normally don't see this, every team, has a monster big conference matchups, and we're not. It's not just talk, coaches talk. It's legit, where mm-hmm. everybody has a top twenty. You know, you got volleyball in a showdown against the one versus two, arguably in volleyball. Men's soccer is a top ten, top fifteen matchup in the country. Women's soccer is playing a top twenty-five team, and football is playing arguably the best, their biggest threat in their division. So uh, it's an incredible week of UCF athletics.
0: And you can follow it with us uh, right here on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com. We're the SB only, Nation's the only home. people
1: that follow everything. We, we're That's the only right. that follow everything CF. We're not a one. We follow every sport, every coach. This is the show that coaches listen to, tune into. the play. This is where everybody tunes into.
0: That's right. And you can follow us also at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget. Also, we're going to have. You you can get all the latest from uh, Luke Saris uh, at Luke Saris SBN. He's got his. uh, He he takes uh, email questions as well and listens to those. Don't forget Jeremy Brenner and myself, and hopefully you too, Eric Lopez, will be joining us for night shift after the Cincinnati game, probably immediately following the final gun. Keep an eye on our YouTube channel and our Twitter (laughs) uh, feed for updates. Who knows
1: what time that'll be.
0: (laughs) I know. I know. We might be, uh, people might be upset about it. It could be midnight. Uh, And we've got, uh, and we've got a lot more um, also coming from, uh, from all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret. So for Eric Lopez. uh, Oh, and also I want to thank as well, Mike Schneid from Down the Drive. Make sure you follow him at Down the Drive and MS Schneid on Twitter. And uh, thanks again to him for the insight on Cincinnati. Um, they're good people over there, so make sure you uh, make sure you give make sure you give them a holler and uh, uh, and thank them for their work as well in helping us understand Cincinnati a little bit better. Heading into Friday night, eight o'clock, big kickoff uh, for UCF on national TV in a huge, huge matchup uh, in the division. We'll have all that coverage for you coming in the next couple days. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. We will catch you on night shift after UCF in Cincinnati on Friday night. See you then.